19. I'll give you a second to find that. Exodus uh, chapter 9, verses 13 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, and your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. That's a, that's a scary warning right there from the God of creation. And uh, the exodus of the Hebrew people out of the bondage of Egypt is one of the most well-known and certainly one of the most defining events in recorded history. <clears throat> the culmination of events 400 years in the making, it's clear that God's hand is on everything we do, and that as long as we put our trust in him, he will always lead us in the right direction. This particular event can be divided up into... Uh, two major themes the revelation of who God is and his desire to use us as his hands and feet in leading people out of the bondage of sin and into relationship with him some of us may uh, maybe even most of us are probably familiar with the details of the plagues themselves Uh, however uh, some of us may not be fully aware of their impact on Egypt the ten plagues were not just an attack on Egypt in and of itself in order to free the Israelites from the bondage imposed on them by the Egyptians but each plague targeted various Egyptian idols because uh, they had so back in those days they had I think it was like over 80 different idols and many of them overlapped and everything from agriculture to uh, their forms of entertainment uh, they attributed to the, um, the whatever idol it was that pertained to that and uh, so while some may see the plagues as a show of brute force and strength by a furious God, we must also understand that they are an amazing display of compassion, mercy, and even patience by a loving Father. So why did God choose to send the plagues? Couldn't he have just supernaturally scooped up the Hebrews all at once and completely destroyed Egypt? I mean, he could have just, just with the snap of his finger, he could have spoken into existence like he did the world. But... We serve, you know, um, a mighty God, a sovereign God. And uh, he can do anything at any time. And, uh, but he he does all of those things with our well-being in mind. And he loves all of us and wants us all to know him. And um, Exodus 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5 says, But I will cause Pharaoh to be stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will crush Egypt with a series of disasters, after which I will lead the forces of Israel out with great acts of judgment. When I show the Egyptians my power and force them to let the Israelites go, they will realize that I am the Lord. 
So his desire was for the Israelites to be free, but he also desired for Egypt, that they might know him as, as Lord, as the Almighty God. And the Egyptians were under their own bondage, like we talked about before. They did not acknowledge the God of Israel. Instead, they were under bondage to multiple idols and, uh, and, and different things. And this angered the Lord tremendously. And he methodically delegitimized their gods while revealing himself as the almighty God. God chose Moses to be his hands and feet through this process. Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh refused, and this set the stage for the epic conflict. But we must remember that this conflict was just not between these two men, but also between the mighty God and the counterfeit gods of Egypt. Ephesians 6.2 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And even now, uh, one thing uh, that I know I uh, sometimes forget about or don't think about all the time is that, that even right now there's more going on around us than we can see. Our lives just aren't the physical occurrences that we can see and, and touch and taste and hear. There's an unseen battle occurring all around us all the time. And um, it's a battle between good and evil. And if God were to pull back the blinds and allow us to see the full picture tonight, we would see angels and conflict right here in this very room and, and everywhere. And um, just an amazing thing to think about. And... Um, so the following are the ten plagues of Egypt, as we di- and uh, as we discussed earlier, uh, these these plagues are uh, they were meant not just to pull uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, but also to to smite, I guess for lack of a better term, the idols that they were worshiping, and uh, we will see that they they truly reveal the providence and majesty of our God, and it's easy to see that they are not simply pulled out of thin air, but carefully crafted by him in a very deliberate and strategic way. We will see that the plagues are of a threefold purpose. First, he is demonstrating his power and authority to the people of Israel, while reminding them of his love for them. Second, he is passing judgment on Egypt and its gods, and while at the same time revealing himself to all Egyptians in a mighty and powerful way. Pharaoh said, who is Lord? And with the plagues, this question is answered loud and clear. And, and thirdly, uh, we, meaning us, uh, who are alive today, we get a foreshadowing in a sense of what will occur closer to the end of the age. The plagues from Revelation uh, bear a striking, striking resemblance to, to some of these we're about to discuss from Exodus, which is, I think, very um, interesting and awesome and thank God for, for his word. Um, so the first plague, turning the Nile to blood, um, it was devastating to the Egyptians in terms of their day-to-day life as it was a primary source of water for drinking, as well as for cooking and bathing. Further, it was a huge blow economically as millions of fish died and the water from the river was also depended upon for farming. Uh, this plague was also seen as a judgment against happy, happy, Bear with me on the pronunciations. Uh, and Isis, whom they believed to be the god and goddess of the Nile. Uh, and also Osiris, who was believed to, to actually be the Nile. The, Nile's, the Nile was seen as his bloodstream, in a sense. And, um, and so uh, 
the Egyptians believed that all life came from the Nile. And uh, in regards to the first, to this first devastating plague, the Lord instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh, by this you will know I'm the Lord. But the Bible says that the Egyptian magicians at the time did this, were able to duplicate it, in a sense. Uh, and so the Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not let the people go. And I think it... Um, and that's, that's after it was actually all of the havoc happened and, and, and the rivers turned to blood and all, millions of fish died and all of that. He still refused to let the people go. I think it is safe to say that Pharaoh was in denial. Uh, okay. <laughs> Already are. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, 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 <laughs> but this plague affected both Egypt and Israel. As, as, as we'll see, uh, some of them did. Um, and... Uh, so the second plague, this targeted the Egyptian god Hecht. She was, she was a frog-headed goddess of birth and resurrection. She had, they believed that she uh, had the head of a frog and then, and then the torso and body of a, of a human. And uh, with this plague, God instructed Aaron to stretch his hand and his staff over all the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up. Thousands upon thousands. It didn't tell us how many. I mean, I picture probably millions. Came up and covered the, the entire land invaded the homes of the Egyptians and, and every other nook and cranny there was. The frogs were very sacred to uh, the Egyptian people. Um, in those days, if someone killed a frog, even by accident, it was punishable by death. Pharaoh summoned for Moses and Aaron and told them to pray for God to take away the frogs. He didn't, he didn't like that at all. It was disruptive, and he wanted them gone. Uh, and he said that, that once they were taken away, or at least once... God had, had stopped adding to them um, that he would let the people he would let the people go make offerings to the Lord. So Moses left and he cried out to the Lord that he might stop the relentless on, onslaught of frogs, so that Pharaoh would let the people go. And God honored the request. Um, so the frogs stopped coming, um, but they still they died. Um, the ones that were there died in the homes, the courtyards, the fields, everywhere. So they were piled into these massive uh, heaps, gigantic, you know, uh, piles. And uh, the Bible says that the land reeked of them. And uh, when Pharaoh saw that there were no more frogs coming, he hardened his heart again and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. And and just as the Lord had told them, uh, he wasn't going to let the people go. And also... uh, the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate this phenomenon as well, or what they believed to be uh, a parlor trick or whatever they thought it was. And this plague also affected both Egypt and Israel. The third plague uh, was the plague of gnats or lice, bugs, pests. And um, it targeted Keper, the Egyptian god of the beetles and flies, and also the Egyptian god Set, who was the god of the desert. And the Lord told Moses to instruct Aaron to stretch out his staff and strike the dust off the ground. And uh, throughout the land of Egypt, the dust would become gnats uh, once he did that. And so Aaron did as he was told, and all of the dust in the whole land of Egypt became gnats or lice. So we can imagine how horrifying that must have been. Uh, it no doubt was crippling to any commerce happening at the moment. It caused panic as everyone ran for shelter from the insects. Um, and like the other two, this plague also affected both Egypt and Israel. 
there was any doubt after the first and second plague as to whether or not these plagues were orchestrated by the hand of God, it was certainly at this point start beginning to dwindle down. And uh, when the Egyptian magicians tried to duplicate this plague, they failed, and they recognized it as a finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he wouldn't listen, just as the Lord had said. Uh, the fourth plague was a plague of flies. So this plague targeted uh, Keper, the god of flies, and also Uachit. Uh, and this time God caused swarms of flies to, to come over Egypt by the millions to feed on, on you remember, the enormous piles of, of frogs. So they're still there, and they're, you assume they're probably starting to rot. You know, and so they're feeding on these enormous piles of dead frogs. The stench must have been unbearable. And certainly the sanitation problems had to have been of unbelievably horrific proportions. Uh, and this time, the Lord distinguished between the Egyptians and Israel uh, as he placed, he placed an invisible hedge of protection around the Israelites. Um, and no flies entered into Goshen, which was the area in Egypt where, where the Israelites lived. And so the lines had been drawn, uh, and they were loud and clear. On one side uh, was liberty um, and the people of the living God, and on the other side was defeat and the people of the, of the idols. And uh, Pharaoh's magicians didn't even try to duplicate this one. Uh, and this time Pharaoh offered to let the people go to sacrifice to their God, but only under the condition that they remain in the land of Egypt. Uh, Moses insisted that they must take a three-day journey into the wilderness, and Pharaoh agreed to let them leave Egypt to sacrifice to the Lord but insisted they must not go far because, you know, I assume you probably thought that they would just take off and never come back. And, um, but, uh, so, Moses, you know, he said Moses must pray for the flies to leave first. So Moses left and did as he promised. He prayed for the flies to leave Egypt, and they left. And the Bible says not one fly remained in the entire land. So, you know, I assume it was probably instantaneous. Um, and, uh, so once again, as soon as, as soon as Pharaoh got what he wanted and the flies were gone, he hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. And uh, so we move on to the fifth plague. The fifth plague was the death of the livestock. And this, this one was a doozy. This one was really bad. Uh, the, it was a judgment on the goddess of Hathor and the god of Hap. And both were depicted as cattle. Hap, or Hap, was thought of as a sacred bull to the Egyptians. And so they thought that when the livestock was doing well, that meant that, the god, that their god, Hape, was doing well as well. Uh, that they were an extension of that god. And uh, this plague also affected horses, donkeys, camels, and sheep. Not just cattle, as is commonly thought. Um, so all of these animals were essential to the lives of the Egyptians and the well-being of Egypt in general. And uh, as with the previous plague, God protected his people from the plague, and not one Hebrew livestock was harmed. Not one. Not a single, uh, not a single cow, not a single donkey, nothing. And uh, so while every single livestock belonging to the Egyptians died um, through this process, Pharaoh investigated and found that God had supernaturally protected the Israelites' cattle from the plague. Uh, but even seeing this, the Bible says that his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. 
and God was steadily and mightily destroying the economy of Egypt uh, while showing his ability at the same time to protect and care for those who obeyed him. And the sixth plague, moving on, was the plague of boils. This targeted the Egyptian god Emotep, who was uh, thought of as the physician god. And um, this typical plague, uh, it's interesting because from time to time, uh, Egypt would sacrifice humans. And the people that were chosen would be burnt alive on a high altar, uh, and then their ashes were cast into the air. And the hope was that with every scattered ash, a blessing would descend upon the people of Egypt. That's what they thought was, was going to happen. So interestingly, uh, this time Moses was told to take the, the soot from a furnace and sprinkle it into the air in front of Pharaoh. And he did. And the whole sky was filled with dust above Egypt. And when that happened, as it started falling down from the sky, painful and infected uh, festering boils began to break out on all of the Egyptians. Uh, and, the, and also their remaining animals. So it wasn't just them, but their animals was, uh, were being infected by these boils as well. Um, and uh, so with this specific plague, Pharaoh's magicians, they could not undo uh, what the Lord had done. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't even heal themselves. And so they were, uh, the Bible says that they couldn't even stand in front of Pharaoh. Uh, they were in so much pain. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once again, he would not listen to Aaron and Moses again, and he wouldn't, they, he wouldn't let the people go, just as the Lord said. So th- those, that's the first six plagues. And before the last three plagues, Pharaoh was given a last warning by God. Um, and these, you know, it, he, was, he was given a warning that these coming plagues would be stronger than the earlier plagues. And after experiencing this, Pharaoh would know that there is no one like him in all the earth. And as an example of his grace, the Lord warned Pharaoh before the seventh plague to gather whatever cattle and crops that were left after the previous plague so they could be saved from the coming storm. Some of Pharaoh's officials at this point feared the Lord uh, because of the previous plagues. And uh, so the ones that did... They went out and gathered, you know, whatever cattle and crops that they had, and they heeded the warning. But those who did not left their animals and crops in the field to be destroyed. They didn't believe, so, you know, they saw the river turn to blood. They saw the boils. They saw the flies. They saw the frogs. They still didn't believe. And so they left their animals and crops in the field to be destroyed. Uh, And the seventh plague... The seventh plague was a real doozy. I mean, this one, this is something out of, you know, that movie The Day After Tomorrow or something, some kind of, you'd imagine, like Armageddon, some kind of a movie. This, this was something else. And uh, so it was the plague of hail. And this packed an unbelievably hard punch. It flew in the face of what the Egyptians thought were two of their most powerful gods. Nut, or maybe it's Newt, uh, the sky goddess, <laughs> Uh, and Set, the storm god. The hailstorm was unlike anything the Egyptians or anyone else had ever seen up to this time. When Moses stretched his staff out to the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flash down to the ground. Uh, hail struck everything, including people and animals, 
Lightning started fires throughout the land, and the Bible says it beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every single tree. Again, the children of Israel were miraculously protected. They suffered no damage to themselves or to their land. Uh, And after seeing this incredible violence and destruction brought on by the hail, Pharaoh summoned for Moses, saying, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. (laughs) And I can imagine they probably had. I will let you go. You do not have to stay any longer. So Moses prayed, and the storm stopped. When Pharaoh saw this, anybody guess what might have happened? (laughs) He sinned again, and Pharaoh and his officials hardened their hearts, and he would not let the Israelites go. So here comes the eighth plague. The eighth plague was the plague of locusts. This is probably the one that I can imagine for me, would have been the scariest. This was an attack on Anubis, who the Egyptians recognized as the god of the fields. This plague completed the destruction caused by the hail from the seventh plague, as the locusts ate whatever crops or vegetation uh, that was left. And locusts are devastating to any agricultural society. Uh, You know, I mean, just the regular-sized ones. Who knows how big these were? Um... But just the regular sized ones, even here in you know middle America over on the other side of the country, they're devastating to to crops. And the Bible says that they devoured every herb of the land and fruit of the trees. And at this point, Pharaoh's Pharaoh's officials begged him to let the Hebrews go. You know, they they wanted they knew at this point this is not you know whatever this is we don't want any part of it you know whether it's really the almighty God or who, who knows just let them go and get them out of here <laughs> and uh, so they begged him to let the Hebrews go once again believe it or not Pharaoh admitted he was wrong agreed to let the Hebrews go and then changed his mind after the locusts were gone so this brought on the ninth plague and uh, the ninth plague was a plague of darkness. And under instruction from the Lord, Moses stretched out his hand, and darkness filled the land of Egypt. A darkness so thick, they could not see anyone or anything. Um, and the Bible says it remained this way for three days straight. Three days, they're walking around if they dared to go outside. You know, like, they just they couldn't see anything. And um, so that's a long time to live like that. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to live three days without electricity in my house, let alone light anywhere. Um, and so three days of darkness um, for the Egyptians, yet the Israelites had light in their homes. Um, and so there's no doubt that this infuriated Pharaoh. I'm sure he was just livid at this point. It seems like he was getting more angry than than uh, Smart. trying to figure out what was going on and trying to yeah trying to be responsible about it for his people. Um, and so he was infuriated. And the incredible thing is that after all this, Pharaoh still believed he had bargaining power. He he still on what grounds I have absolutely no idea. 
but he thought that he was in a position to be able to make demands still. So he told Moses, go worship. Uh, he said that the Hebrews could even take their women and children, but that they had to leave their herds and flocks behind because he thought that, that would make them come back because they're, you know, they're, they're slaves. He didn't want them to go. He was going to do the work you know, if, if they're gone. So he wanted to make sure they come back, but also, you know, in his mind, he was probably thinking, um, our herds, our cattle, all of our things are gone. So uh, we need, we're going to need these. And um, so he said, take your women, take your children, but leave your herds and flocks behind. Moses didn't like that idea. He knew that they would, ha- that they would be making uh, a burnt, you know, an offering, a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. And he wanted to be prepared with as many animals as might be, poss- you know, might be needed. Um, and so uh, when Pharaoh realized this, he snapped. And he told Moses he would not let them go and to get out. He said, get out of my sight. Um, and uh, so the tenth plague. At this point, Pharaoh was hardened. Uh, he has hardened his heart over and over at this point. The land lay in complete and total ruins. I mean, it's like in a wasteland. And uh, the first nine plagues devastated everything and everyone except for the Israelites. And there's still another plague coming. And uh, that tenth and final plague is the death of the firstborn male. This was a judgment on Isis, uh, the god that was thought to protect children, and also on Pharaoh's own firstborn son, who was actually thought to be a god himself. Um, and, uh, but also, with this specific plague, the Israelites were being taught a deep spiritual lesson that pointed to Christ. Uh, unlike the other plagues from which the Israelites were spared simply on the basis of their identity as God's people, Surviving this plague required an act of faith by them. God commanded that each family take an unblemished lamb and kill it. And the blood of the lamb was to be smeared on the top and on the sides. Yep, that's right, of the, of the doorways. And the lamb was to be roasted, and it, and it had to be eaten that night. And any household that did not follow these instructions would suffer along with the Egyptians in the final plague. So... God described uh, how he would send the death angel through the land of Egypt with orders to slay the firstborn male in every household. And the only protection was the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the door. Uh, when the angel saw the blood, he would pass over that house and leave it untouched. And that, um, it's out of Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. So the weeping, uh, so, so this happened, and the angel of death came, and uh, that night, uh, the weeping and wailing uh, was unlike anything ever heard in the land before. There was not a house, not one house without someone dead in it. Um, the entire land of Egypt had been knocked to its knees at this point. And Pharaoh, it seemed, had finally had enough. We'll see. Uh, the Bible says that Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron while it was still night and said, Up, leave my people. You and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And by the way, also bless me. Uh, and that's, you can read that in Exodus chapter 12, and that's verse 31. When Pharaoh let the Israelites go, the Lord led the people around the desert, toward, uh, the desert road toward uh, the sea. And the Lord went ahead of them by a pillar of cloud, 
and by night by a pillar of fire so that they could see. The Lord instructed Moses to have the Israelites camp by the sea so that Pharaoh would think they were wandering around the desert in confusion and that they'd be hemmed in by the desert. And the Lord once again hardened the Pharaoh's heart. And once again, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about letting the people go. That's a shocker, right? <laughs> uh, he realized he just let all of his slaves go free. And, you know, so all of his cattle, everything, it was gone. So he readied his forces to go after them. This is not just a squadron or a platoon. This is a massive, massive fleet. Over 600 chariots and every soldier in, in Egypt. And so this was huge. And uh, it seemed as though the Israelites were trapped between the mountains and the seas with nowhere to go. When they saw the massive army marching towards them, they were horrified. And as you can imagine, you know, scared. Um, they began grumbling against God and Moses, saying that they would rather be slaves in Egypt than to die in the desert. Then, in Exodus uh, chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, which is one of my favorite passages in the entire Old Testament, um, Moses answers the people, telling them, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And uh, so... The angel of God and a pillar of, of cloud stood between the people and the Egyptians, protecting the Israelites. And then, in one of the most dramatic scenes in the history of mankind, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused a strong east wind to blow all night, parting the waters and turning the sea floor into dry land. And during the night, the Israelites fled through, throughout, you know, through the Red Sea. And enormous walls of water to their right, to their left, to their right, um, as, they, as they, they fled and they walked through. But still, the Egyptian army charged after them. Just then, the Lord threw the army into confusion, the Egyptian army. He jammed up the wheels of their chariots, making it difficult to drive them. It was at this point that the army knew they were in over their heads. They cried out, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And I've always wondered, always, always wondered, you know, this, these are stories that we hear, you know, as ki- from kids on up. I've always wondered why it was the jamming of the wheels that finally tipped them off. You know, like, shouldn't the actual parting of the sea have given them a clue? You know, or any of the previous ten plagues. But it was, it was at that moment that they realized, we're in trouble. You know, let's get out of here. And so, so, uh, yeah. Uh, So then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand back over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses did as he was told, and at daybreak the sea went back into place. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen and all that followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one, not one of those soldiers survived. They were all swallowed up. And, uh, but the Israelites made it through unharmed. When they saw what the Lord had done, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant, Moses. And it's just, you know, 
can I really say we have an awesome, amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God that, that even when it seems like he's leading us into complete and total destruction, even when it seems like he's taking us to drown, you know, in, 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 a, in a sea that somehow was parted, you know, and they don't know at this point. All they know is, like, can you imagine being, you know, one of those Israelites? And, but even in that situation, you know, uh, he knows. Right. And he takes care of us and he loves us. And uh, I'm just so thankful that he, has le- that he left us uh, an actual written record, you know, uh, an eyewitness account on, on ma- in many instances of such amazing displays of his power in the Bible. Just unbelievable to me. I will never, ever, something that for me personally, at least, I'll never be able to, I'll never get comfortable, I guess, with the fact that we have access to such an amazing document and authentic um, book, which is the Bible. Yeah. And um, so, you know, he, he loves us and, and he loves all of us. And there are so many people out there that don't realize that you know they don't know they might not even own a bible or if they have maybe it's been sitting in their garage and there's dust on it and they they don't realize what they have access to and uh their spiritual warfare you know it's brought on by the enemy and it's crept into almost every facet of society so and, and we know we know this just from being alive and from from being on this side you know from being in the church as opposed to out in the world we know that it's everywhere it's just everywhere. You know, it's, it's seen in politics. Um, issues that have, have taken on a political um, theme or role, like abortion and marriage and the recent transgender movement are just a few that have crept into the political landscape. But they have a, but, but they have a very spiritual basis to them. There's a battle going on, not just for our votes, but for our very hearts and our minds. And um, spiritual warfare is prevalent everywhere, you know, in the entertainment industry. I, it's pretty self-explanatory, I think. It's, it's everywhere. You just turn on a TV, and, and there you, the onslaught is almost instantaneous. Just flip, 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 you know. No, you know, you, like, it's just, it's incredible. How, and, uh, and it's crept into schools with the replacement of prayer in the Bible, uh, with the teaching of evolution, the Big Bang, and humanism. Uh, there's a big war happening over the home. The family is a building block of society and, and a sense of, of all of creation, really. Uh, and the enemy wants to end marriages, turn kids against their parents, and, and introduce all kinds of poisons into the home. Right. Um, ones that we eat and ones that we don't even realize, like we were talking about with the TV. And, uh, you know, I, I think we can agree that all of these things are really tough to deal with, even for us. And, and we have the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and they, can, they can be hard. Uh, there's a whole world out there that does, doesn't know God. They don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't even have the Bible. You know, and just imagine what it must be like out there right now for them. Because I know, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't raised in the church. And since I was out in the world, to, you know, from that time to now, things have got exponentially worse out there. And... But God cares. You know, that's, that's, that's the important thing. That is the most amazing part about it. He cares so much about all of this whole situation and every single right. one of us, whether we're in here or out there. He cares because right. we're all his creation. Amen. And he cares so much for his creation 
that he wants the lost to be found and the hurt to be healed. Right. And we, we read about this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So he was encouraging his disciples that many were ready, uh, many were ready for the harvest, or to, to be harvested, or to seek spiritual peace with God. There are many ready at that point, and there still are now. You know, they were ready to be pulled out of the darkness into his marvelous light, or another way would, uh, to say it would be to be led from the bondage of the world and their personal sin into the kingdom of God. Or yet another way to describe the harvest is that of an exodus, like we were just talking about from before. Because, you know, and, that's, and it's, essentially that's what it was. You know, it was the Israelites were in, under the bondage, and it was spiritual and it was physical. And uh, they just needed, they needed uh, someone to lead them out. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's not a physical exodus. You know, it's it's spiritual one. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people out there, you know, and they're in bondage, like I said before, and they're hurting. And the workers are few, you know, but the church... Uh, we can't let our unbelief steal right. this honor from us that we have. Amen. And it is. It's an honor. It's an absolute honor and unbelievable to, to be alive at this time. That God put us here at this time knowing things are wrapping up. You know, he is coming and he is coming soon. And he, you know, he, first of all, he tarried, you know, he, you know, the cross, you know, 2000 years ago, but he waited for us. He, he waited so long uh, for us. And now that we're here, such an honor to to um, to be in the church at this specific time in history, and uh, we we can't let our unbelief steal it. We can't, you know. We're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of God. And um, you know, I we don't have Moses or his rod. You know, that's true, but we have something better than that rod. We have the completed, infallible, untouchable. Word of God in the Bible. Amen. And we have the Holy Ghost. Right. And thank you, Jesus. And yes, you know, we don't have Moses. We we don't have Moses, but we have we have Brother Byron sitting right there. Yeah. You know? And Brother Maurice, Sister Joan, you know, Brother Clint. We have us, we have an unbelievable, unbelievably godly pastor and first lady that are here to lead us and teach us. You know, and and that's and God says that we're enough. That's enough. Right. And uh, so we have to. And I know that we've been doing this already. We we do. Anybody with the Holy Ghost has the the urge, the wanting, and the need to reach people. And but we have to continue to stand. We have to stand with each other before God, and through God's power working through us. We have to bring as many of his children as we can home to the kingdom. 
Because really, that's the most important thing. And uh, so, I think I might have taken a little too long. Um, so in closing, if, if, if you want to stand, we can pray. And... <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, for the, for the written record and account that you've given us, the miracles that, that you've done, and the love that you have for us. We thank you for your word, God, and we thank you for the church. We thank you for your plan of salvation. And, uh, and we thank you. We thank you that you waited for us. We thank you that you waited for each and every one of us. Lord, we pray that you just give us a boldness that we need to go out there each and every day and bring as many lost, hurting souls into the church, into the comfort and peace of your kingdom as possible. And, uh, and we pray that as we go out, that you prepare the hearts and minds and that you soften the hearts and prepare and open the, the ears and the minds of the community out there that they might be ready for us and ready for you. That when we when we give them, uh, when we share your gospel with them, that they're ready to receive it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.